Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your call to follow you in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was young, a very, very long time ago, my mum used to take me and my twin brother to a particular brand of shoe shop where they would measure your feet every time and size you up and have a pair of shoes which fitted just nicely. And since one of my feet is larger than the other, I was very grateful for this. But ever since, I've struggled to find a place where I can buy shoes that fit. So a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for a new pair of black shoes that might be waterproof, given the amount of rain that we've been having, through which I've had to walk around London in shoes with holes in the bottom. So I went to Westfield Shopping Centre in Stratford and went through floor after floor after floor until in the furthest corner on the top of floor three, I found that shoe shop, or at least one of, it, one of its successors. They didn't measure my feet, but they had a pair of shoes that were wide enough to make it work. And I came home triumphant. I made a journey and I got what I wanted. Did I make a pilgrimage to Westfield Shopping Center? Probably not. But what is the difference between a journey when you're looking for something and a pilgrimage? Some people go on a journey because they have to get away from something or someone. Some people go because, like me, they want to get to a destination. Some set out on a journey because they like to travel. But whatever the reason you set out on a journey, you have to go in faith. You trust that other people won't rob you, that your car will work, that the plane will fly, that you'll be able to walk, that you'll make it to the end. All journeys involve some measure of faith, but not all journeys are a pilgrimage. Many of you may have explicitly been on pilgrimage but what was it that made you a pilgrim? 400 years ago, the ship, the Mayflower, sailed from just along the River Thames down there to take refugees to America. And Americans still remember the pilgrim fathers and indeed pilgrim mothers and pilgrim children as the early settlers who left the persecutions and trials of Europe to find freedom in the new world. But they're not called Pilgrim Fathers because they were refugees or because they had a long, uncomfortable, dangerous voyage in a small ship. Settlers are not pilgrims. But people who go out in faith for the sake of God are those you might call pilgrims. There are different ways to turn a journey into a pilgrimage. One way depends on your motive for leaving. You should have some measure of spiritual or religious seeking or awareness. Going to buy shoes in Westfield isn't usually a spiritual experience, however good their brands and their products might be. But leaving on a journey for a religious reason is beginning a pilgrimage. 
Some of those people who were on the Mayflower 400 years ago were just travelers or seamen. But the pilgrim fathers and mothers saw their journey as God-given, a new exodus, so that like the children of Israel, they could go and worship God freely as they wanted to do. It was a spiritual quest that they went on to leave their old life and find God in a new way. For them, it was a pilgrimage. The second and classic way to do pilgrimage is to head for a destination that's religious, a church, a temple, a holy well, a river, a cathedral, a holy community, a special historic spiritual site, or even a spiritual person. And that's been happening for millennia. Holy places and holy people, from Stonehenge to Jerusalem to Uluru in Australia, these have drawn people looking for a spiritual experience, walking in the footsteps of their spiritual forebears, seeking a connection with the divine. And as with the Pilgrim Fathers, there may be more than one motive at work in those who go. The 14th century poet Geoffrey Chaucer, who wrote his Canterbury Tales, wrote about the mixed up nature of the Pilgrim Company who went out down to Canterbury. Yes, they were going for a religious experience to a religious venue, but they also wanted a good time with worldly-minded monks, devout peasants and priests, and rather dubious tradesmen. What Chaucer describes as a group of sundry folk who had fallen by chance into company, but pilgrims all, as they rode for Canterbury to pray at the shrine of St. Thomas a Becket, but making sure they told each other some rather racy and entertaining stories on the way. Leaving for a spiritual reason, arriving at a spiritual place. Either of these can turn a journey into a pilgrimage. And the third way to be a pilgrim is to travel because of the spiritual significance of the journey itself. That classic devotional book by the 17th century Puritan preacher John Bunyan, The Pilgrim's Progress, sets out the journey through life to heaven. But it spends pretty much all its time on describing the journey, hardly any time on the heaven that lies beyond. It's the pilgrimage in company with God, the traveling in relationship with others, the spiritual growth through adversity, joy, and hardship, which makes the pilgrimage, and the arriving will then take care of itself. For the Pilgrim Fathers, leaving was the spiritual pilgrimage. For Chaucer's pilgrims, arriving was the spiritual goal. For Bunyan, pilgrimage meant progress in the spiritual life. But underneath all three ways of looking at pilgrimage is something without which pilgrimage won't even start, 
won't get to where you want to, won't bring you lasting progress. Which is why this sermon has the title it does, Beginning the Journey with Love. The reading from the book of Deuteronomy we had earlier in this service refers to the exodus from slavery in Egypt, the call to follow God to a new place, that call on which the pilgrim fathers modeled themselves. But the reading begins with love, the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. If you don't love and trust in something beyond you, if you don't believe that there's a purpose in your journey, then it's only a journey. You can't call it a pilgrimage. If you go without the hope that something, someone greater than you will hold you and you will be changed as a result of your pilgrimage. From Luke's Gospel, we had read two simple stories which Jesus tells. One about a man who loses a sheep, and the other about a woman who loses a coin, and how they both set out to find that precious thing they've lost. They go looking because they're driven by love, by the sense of something missing. They could have afforded to lose one sheep out of 99. That's not very many. She could have afforded to lose one coin out of 10. Collateral damage, we might call it today, or factoring an element of loss into our budget calculations. But with the people in this story, with the God that Jesus knows, there is no budget no calculation, but every sheep and every coin and every person is known and cared about. Luke tells us these two short stories because of an encounter between Jesus and his critics. Tax collectors and sinners are coming to listen to Jesus, the lowest of the social low. They've made a journey to hear this spiritual man, to encounter someone who accepts them without blame. And the religious leaders are grumbling about how Jesus must be ungodly, must be unspiritual, because he's in the company of these unholy people. So Jesus tells them the story of the sheep and the coins to show how God loves and looks out for every person, especially those who are lost in the wilderness of life, those who don't know how to change, those who have no sense of direction, those who have nowhere to go to, no pilgrimage yet in mind. Why do the tax collectors and sinners come to Jesus? because they believe and trust and experience that he loves them. Why does Jesus welcome the tax collectors and sinners when it gets him into trouble? Because he really does love them. 
And why does Jesus go on to his pilgrimage journey to the cross and to death and resurrection? Because he loves them and loves us too, sinners that we all are. And more than that, Jesus can travel because he knows that he himself is held by God his Father. He can make his pilgrimage through passion and death because love lies underneath it all. Whatever the reason you set out on a journey, you have to have some faith in order to set out at all. You have to trust that you'll get to the end, that other people won't let you down, that your train will be on time, that people will look after you, and that your hotel or Airbnb will be there at the end. And much more so with pilgrimage. We leave, we travel, we arrive in the love of God and trust that in and through our pilgrimage, we will be changed. This year, 2020, is a year of pilgrimage for cathedrals. And you can find out more about it if you're interested. This is the commercial break from the website englishcathedrals.co.uk or just search online for the words Cathedral Pilgrim. You can even buy a pilgrimage passport in the cathedral shop in the crypt to collect cathedral stamps and encourage you to have an encounter with pilgrimage. But whether you go to cathedrals or not, why don't you become a spiritual pilgrim this Lent and walk on life's journey as one who is held in the love of the God who does not forget you. As the writer of Deuteronomy says, the Lord brought us out from there in order to bring us in, bring us into the love of God who comes looking for each one of us and calls us to turn our lives into a pilgrimage towards him.